Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis how God the Father was focused on his choice, which was to lay down his life for his sheep, to shield them and take their place. This message is available for free download on iTunes or at friendshipwithgod.org. Our resource for this month is from Tom Cantor, and it's called How a Jew Learned the Meaning of Isaiah 53. We'll also include Tom Cantor's personal testimony of how a Jew came to know and put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can receive both of these from Tom Cantor for a $10 or more donation to the Friendship with God radio program. Now, you'll also receive a matching donation for whatever amount that you donate, and that will be matched towards Israel Restoration Ministries and Jewish Evangelism Outreach. And not only receive these two resources from Tom Cantor, but you'll also be supporting the gospel going out to the Jew first, because we've reached the past three years over five million lost Jewish people door-to-door, face-to-face, with the gospel, giving them free materials from Israel Restoration Ministries. So your donation for these two resources this month will also be matched with the gospel going out to the Jew first. So you can get How a Jew Learned the Meaning of Isaiah 53 and How a Jew Came to Know and Put His Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the testimony of Tom Cantor. You can get both of these resources today by calling us at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Call us now or after the program, or you can go to friendshipwithgod.org for more information or our online bookstore that's available there on our website. So again, friendshipwithgod.org or 1-800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our study from the book of Genesis and the life of Abraham and its parallel to the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw the sheep in their despair and he knew they could have hope. He saw the sheep in their sadness, but he knew they could be happy. He saw the sheep as dead, but he knew that they could have life. And he saw the sheep with their destination of hell, but he knew they could have a new destination of heaven. And what he knew was that it all depended on him. It all just funneled down to him that he was the decider, he was the decision maker as to whether or not this great change was going to take place. It all depended on his choice, and he knew that. And he knew that because he knew that he was the only one who could bring them this great change. And the whole question that laid before him with all that responsibility that potentially was there was that, The question was, would he decide, yes or no, to lay down his life to give them what they could not have and to give them what only he could give them? And he looked at the need and he says, yes, I'll do it. That's him. He says, I'll lay down my life for the sheep because they need to be brought. I can bring them. I alone can bring them. And I must bring them. See, he goes through these courses, these steps. He said, the need is very obvious. And the need can be met. And I can do it. And then he says, I must do it. And so when he says this, I must bring them. This is the decision point. This is his choice. This is where it all comes out. And so he decides. He looks at this and he says, not only can I do it, but he says, I must bring them from darkness to light. So he decides to lay down his life. 
He decides that he must bring them from despair to hope. So he decides to lay down his life. He says, I must bring them from sadness to happiness. So he decides to lay down his life. I must bring them from death to life. So he decides to lay down his life. I must bring them from having a destination of hell to having a destination of heaven from the forgiveness of their sins. I must do this. And so he decides to lay down his life. So he expresses this with this word must. I must do it. And that was all the culmination of his decision that he made. And that was what the father was focused on. He saw it all also. And so why did he decide that it had to be a must with him? Because that's his nature. That's God's nature. He sees a need. His heart goes out of compassion. And without thinking of himself, he steps in. He says, I must bring it. I must do it. There's no question. I must. I must bring them. Then he sees, notice in verse 16, the words, they shall hear my voice. So here he's seeing the result of his choice. The result of his choice, they shall hear my voice. When he said that he was saying that he knew that his work of laying down his life was not going to be in vain. It wasn't going to be useless. It was going to bring about a result. And the result was, they're going to come. I must bring. They're going to come because they're going to hear my voice. And when they hear my voice, then I will bring them. And so, could he see the shame that was going to be heaped on him as he was despised and rejected, yes, he could see the shame. Could he see the spittings in advance on his face? Yes, he could see the spitting, the beating of his face. Could he see, as it says, the pulling out of the hairs of his beard? Could he see that? Yes. Could he see the scourging with the whip of the cat of nine tails? Could he see all that? Could he see his back be flayed? and the muscle revealed, and the quiveringness of the skin. Yes, he could see that. Could he see the quivering of his hand as the nails were being driven in? Yes, he could see that. Could he see the whole process of him dying from dehydration on the cross? Yes, he could see all that. He saw it all. Then why did he decide to lay down his life? He decided to do it because he saw the sheep hearing his voice and letting him bring them from darkness to light. He saw them hearing his voice, and letting them bring him from despair to hope. He saw the sheep hearing his voice, and letting them bring them from sadness to happiness. He saw them responding when they heard his voice, and letting him bring them from death to life. He saw them respond, and letting him bring them from having a destination of hell for the punishment of their sins, to having a destination of hell from the forgiveness of their sins. And he saw all that, and all that sight to him made him really happy. And as it made him really happy, it brought joy to his heart. And so he had a choice of what was he going to set before him. Was he going to set before him the shame and the spittings and the pulling out of the beard and the scourging and the nails and the death by dehydration? Was that what going to be what he set before him? Or by contrast, was he going to set before him the joy of seeing those people changed? And we are called to focus on the choice that he made and by setting the joy in front of him instead of setting the cross in front of him. This is what Hebrews 12 is speaking to us. And it's saying to us, look at him in this aspect. 
see him and how he has not put the cross in front of him, but he has put the joy of the result of the cross in front of him. And that's what it means when it says in Hebrews 12, too, looking unto Jesus. That's us. Looking unto Jesus. See him now. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. Why was that joy set before him? He set it there because he put that joy in front of his eyes and he endured the cross. And he despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, then notice what he said about the reaction of his father. What his father said about this in John 10, 17. Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life. Or in other words, therefore doth my father love me, because I have chosen to lay down my life. Because the father saw this was all a great grand choice that he made. It was all his choice. And the father knew that he could have very well have said, no, it's just too great a price. It's just too much to ask. He could have said, I'm going to take a pass on this. Sorry for them, bad for them, too much for me. He could have done that. But when the father said that he didn't go down that road, but that of his own free will and choice, he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to freely decide. I'm going to lay down my life. I see all the costs. It's crystal clear to me. I see it all. And when the father saw him do that, the father was absolutely thrilled, absolutely ecstatic, thrilled with his decision. And therefore the words, therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life. And then notice the words in verse 18. He says, no man taketh it from me, I lay it down of myself. Now, with those words, he's emphasizing that the choice to die was not made by another man. His life was taken from him, and that was not the choice of another man. He laid down his own life, and it was his choice and his alone. The Jews did not make that choice to take his life from him. He alone made that choice to lay down his life. Pilate did not make that choice to take his life from him. He alone made that choice to lay down his life. And so these verses are all about the choice that he made. Verse We saw number one, the father was focused on the choice with the words in verse 15, the father knoweth me. Number two, the choice the father focused on was to lay down his life. Well, again, with verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. Number three, there was an imperative that he felt that drove him to make his choice. Verse 16, I must bring, them I must bring. Number four, he saw the result of his choice. And that's what he kept in front of him. In verse 16, they shall hear my voice. And he saw that the father was thrilled, loved him for his choice that he made. A choice that would be celebrated for all of eternity. In verse 17, therefore doth my father love me because I laid down my life. And he emphasized in verse 16, it's all about his choice and his alone. No one else made that choice for him. No one pushed him, pressured him, or coerced him to make that choice. He did it in verse 18. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. So what we see in uh, Genesis 15.1 is the great choice. Here we go. It's the great choice. It was a tremendous choice. It was this choice to lay down his life when he said... I am making myself your shield, Abraham. I am thy shield. Now, he didn't have to be the shield instead of Abraham to take the wounding for Abraham's transgressions, but he chose to. 
He didn't have to be the shield instead of Abraham that would be bruised for Abraham's iniquities, but he chose to. It was a tremendous choice that he made to make himself our exceeding great treasure, to make himself our inheritance. The whole subject we're talking about here in Genesis 15, as Abraham is bringing out, is the inheritance. Who's going to inherit the inheritance? And it was a tremendous choice that he made to make himself our inheritance expressed in the exceeding great reward. And he didn't have to open his great big heart of love to us, for us to know him, for him to live within us, to be our great treasure, but he chose to. And that treasure of knowing him was what David so much appreciated when he wrote in Psalm 119.57, Thou art my portion, O Lord. And in Psalm 42.1, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Now, in verse 2, we see Abraham, back in Genesis 15, in verse 2, we see that Abraham is responding to God by saying, in verse 2 through 3, And Abraham said, Lord God, What would thou give me, seeing I go childless? Now, in Abraham's response to God, there's a tremendous transformation which is taking place. I'll ask you a very simple question and tell you that there's no catchy thing so you can get it easily. What new name is is there here for God in verse 2? It's an easy question. What new name is there for God in the Bible in verse 2? It's not God. (laughs) It's a new name for God. Lord, that's it. It's Lord. Very good. Okay. <laughs> I just do that so I make sure that you're with me. <laughs> I hope you're Anyway, so uh, he's used a new name for God here. And that word has never been used before in the Bible. It's the word Lord. This is the first time we want to thank somebody for using the word Lord. You thank Abraham. So when you get to heaven, you thank Abraham. Because this word Lord, which is Adonai, has never been used before. God did not reveal this name. But this was Abraham, who of his own will, he decided that he was going to call God something that God has never been called before, which is Adonai. Before Abraham, no one ever called God by the name Adonai. This is the first, Abraham is the first one to use that. But this represents a great transformation that has happened in Abraham. The word Adonai comes from the word Adon, means Lord. The word Adonai means my Lord. And so Abraham is the first person in the Bible to call God my Lord. And that's a very, very significant thing because Adonai is the equivalent of saying my personal Lord. You know the phrase, my personal Lord and Savior. This is the phrase, my personal Lord. And it was a great turning point for Abraham. Here was Abraham, a man who was afraid for his own protection, a man who was afraid for his own provision. And God responds to Abraham in a very personal way by telling him that he has decided to become Abraham's personal shield. He has decided to become Abraham's personal reward. And Abraham then responds with Adonai by saying to God, if you are my personal shield and if you are my personal reward, then you are my personal Lord. And Adonai, he says, Adonai, my personal Lord. So when Abraham uses this word Adonai, he meant it. It wasn't just a glib thing that he did. He he wasn't thinking. It was very, very meaningful for him. And it came in response to all this personal stuff. Personal shield, personal reward. Fine, my personal Lord. And so God had told Abraham, he is making him his personal shield. He's going to make him his personal reward. And then Abraham responds back and says, since we're on the subject of personal, you are my personal Lord. And that's what he's saying here. 
And so, it's a response back by Abraham. Abraham is saying, I understand all the choices that you've made. I understand what you've done for me. I understand how you've made yourself my personal savior by being my shield. I understand how you've made yourself my personal reward, exceeding great reward. So now I'm going to make you my personal Lord. And God did not have to make himself, as we've said, God's personal shield. That was his choice. And God did not have to make himself Abraham's personal shield. He did not have to make himself Abraham's personal reward. He didn't have to do that. But he did that because of his choice. And God chose that. God chose to make himself Abraham's personal shield and Abraham's personal reward. And so then Abraham says, well, then I have a choice too. And I'm going to personally choose without coercion, without being persuaded, without being pushed into it, I'm going to personally choose to make you my personal Lord. Very significant when Abraham said to God, Adonai. That was Abraham saying to God, I am choosing, I am making, as you did, I am making you my personal Lord. It should be that way with everyone. should be. No one should glibly use the term Lord with the Lord Jesus Christ unless they have made that same all-important decision that Abraham made. That they've seen what God has done for them. And in response out of the heart, they say, I make you my personal Lord as Abraham did. Tom, today you talked about Abraham calling God Adonai, which means Lord in Hebrew. Now Abraham made a decision to worship God as Adonai or Lord. Now, there are many types of worship out there, but can you give us some thoughts on what are some of the biblical aspects of worship? Yeah, well, worship, as you were mentioning, that term El Gabor, as we said today, means the hero. In fact, it's used today in in, uh, modern-day Hebrew as meaning hero. So what do you do with with a hero? You worship your hero. And as a matter of fact, the more you talk about how great your hero is, the more you admire your hero, the more you try to be like your hero, the more you are worshiping your hero. It's exactly the same way with God. We worship God when we use the brain that God has given us, use the intellect, the intelligence that God has given us to, to, to probe out, to see how great he is, to see how admirable he is, to, to look at verses and to say, oh, that shows me that God is a God of love. I worship you, O God, because you are a God of love. As we just said in the last question, that shows me that God is a God who wants to spare men who deserve hell. He wants to spare them and, 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 and open heaven's door for them. I worship you, God, because you are a God who wants to spare men from hell. I worship you because you open the door to heaven. I understand from the Bible that you laid down your life, Lord Jesus, to be a door for us to get to heaven. I worship you for laying down your life so that you became that door for us to go to heaven. You see, what it is, is it's using our mind to to look, to think of what this teaches us about God, that he's a God of love, that he's a God who is not willing that any should perish, and then to put together the actions of God and therefore to understand, oh, 
He didn't destroy Nineveh because he wants to to save Nineveh. Oh, he sent Jonah to Nineveh so that they could repent, so that he would not destroy them. And you say, oh, I see the consistency of God's actions with his character, and I worship him for being consistent. I admire him. He is at the highest place in my heart. He is my hero. That's what it means to worship God. Tom, today you talked about Abraham, a man who was afraid for his own protection and provision. There are many out there today that have those same fears. So can you talk about what provision God has made for man to live after death? Oh, what a provision he has made. The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the provision that God has made for man. He has done so much that it's described as so loved the world that even at the cost of his very own son, he God has said, I will for man to live. And that's why he came to earth, because he said in John 5:40, and you will not come to me that you might have life. What does that mean? That means that he came here to give life. Every sinner that had death marked on him, that was heading right down the middle of the road to hell, and was heading for death and for hell, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, was coming to each person and said, and I want to give you life, and I want to give you life, and I want to give you life, and I don't want you not to have life, and I don't want you also to have life. Every single person he has made provision for to have life. They just have to do one thing. Come to him. Come to him. That's the key. Come to him for life, John 5.40. If you will not come to me, you will not have life. And he said to the people he was talking to, and you will not come to me that you might have life. What a tragedy. He said in John 10.10, everything was against man. The thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. What's that mean? It means the devil has come to kill man. The devil has come to destroy man, to steal from him. But he said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Just look at the garden. After Adam had sinned, you ask the question, what was God doing after he knew Adam had sinned and had brought death upon himself? He was going after Adam. Why? so that he could grab him and say, I want to be the one to watch you suffer and die? No! He was going to Adam to bring him life, to bring him restoration through redemption, through the blood of the the slain animals that was the, the covering for Adam so that he could live, so that he could have relationship and friendship with God again. God has so much provided. He's never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What was he like yesterday? Making the world with all the food in it, with all the wonderful place for man to live, with all the wonderful things for man to see, with all the wonderful things for man to do. All of that he was making it. Today, what is he doing today? Today he has saved man by his blood. He has died for him for his sins to be forgiven. What's he doing tomorrow? He's going to bring man to heaven. All of that is provision of life for man. That's what God's done. 
Thank you for listening to Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Now, Tom Cantor wants to encourage you to witness to your lost Jewish friend, Jewish doctor, Jewish business owner, or a Jewish neighbor, friend, family member, co-worker, acquaintance, someone that you know that's Jewish but needs to be reached with the gospel. To help you reach your lost Jewish friend, Tom Cantor and Israel Restoration Ministries wants to send you a free gift Tom Cantor's life story on DVD, a Jewish Christian that's been reached with the gospel, his life story, as well as in a booklet form that'll help you to reach your lost Jewish friend. It's a free gift. We'll send it directly to your lost Jewish friend or to you to give to them. And you can do that by filling out our online form at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also fill in in the notes section your friend's name and Tom Cantor and our Israel Restoration Ministry staff will pray for your lost Jewish friend that they may be reached with the gospel and delivered from darkness into the light. I want to encourage you to also, while you're there at friendshipwithgod.org, to sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. It's one verse with a small commentary on that verse from Tom Cantor sent directly to your email, to your phone. You can sign up for that at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 1-800-247-3051. one 800 247 3051. You can sign up for the newsletter or sign up for that free gift for your lost Jewish friend. Again, at our website or 1-800-247-3051. You can also call us at that same number to receive our resource this month. How would you learn the meaning of Isaiah 53 from Tom Cantor? We'll also include a copy of his personal life story and testimony, How a Jew Came to Know and Put His Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. you receive both of these for a $10 or more donation to the Friendship with God radio program. And also you'll receive a matching donation from Israel Restoration Ministries and our Jewish evangelism outreach that's reached over 5 million people in three years. Receive these two resources, How Would You Learn the Meaning of Isaiah 53 and Tom Cantor's Testimony for a $10 or more donation. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Or again, go to friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening, and join us again tomorrow at this same time.